0: Thank you for tuning in to the Unjiggered podcast. If you enjoy listening, please consider subscribing and giving us a rating on your podcast service of choice. Also, don't forget to like and tag us on Instagram at Unjiggered underscore media. Thank you to everybody for listening and now on with the show. You're listening to Unjiggered, a bartender podcast where we interview highly successful bartenders about their careers, lives and the passion of bartending. This week we have Rudy Carrado. The global brand ambassador for montenegro we chat about his experience of menu and concept development at the artisan his time in london and of course montenegro with this podcast we want to peel back the mask and discover just how the grades really became the grains so sit back and enjoy
1: hi my name is rudy carraro and i'm the global brand ambassador for the group montenegro thank
2: you very much for finding the time in beautiful sunny singapore to come and see us
1: how are you I'm good, thank you. I have to say that uh, I thought I was a little bit more jet lagged, but I'm actually coping quite well. And uh, the weather in Singapore uh, never disappoints. So you landed today? Yes, like uh, two hours ago.
2: Ah, awesome! And <laughs> how long are you gonna be in town for?
1: Uh, a couple of nights. So today is gonna be more like going see what's going on in the bursting of uh, Singapore's bars, and then tomorrow we're gonna have masterclass and uh, I guess bartending as well.
2: How often do you come to Singapore or like Asia generally speaking? Because you've been here quite a bit, haven't you?
1: In the last year, I've been here uh, three times and uh, this is because uh, with the Group of Montenegro, we're now investing and opening the Asian market. So it's quite important for us to follow up uh, and visit quite often uh, the different markets, you know, together with Singapore, China, uh, Taiwan, uh, Hong Kong, uh, to make sure that we give the support to our customer, uh, you know, and uh, we'll be in touch with everybody that uh, likes our product and uses it beyond the bar. Fantastic.
2: So we all, uh, I think. We all are more or less familiar with who you are. The first time uh, I got to meet you was when you were still working at the Artesian bar. But uh, how did you start your career?
1: My career started, uh, I mean, when I was pretty young, I always been fascinated by the role of the bartender that, uh, you know, I'm originally from Italy, mm-hmm. uh, as you know, and bartender at the, the beginning was like a, a very simple figure that was taking care of the customer we're not talking about fancy or, you know, classic cocktails, mm-hmm. just also the, the barista that was having you the coffee. And I was being intrigued about the, the role and this job. So as soon as I could, I started to put myself into the game, you know, so little job just to pay out, you know, the new pair of shoes, the new t-shirt when you're a teenager during the weekend. And then when I turned 18, I start to work uh, in, I would say, disco pub in the province of Padua.
2: Okay. <clears throat> so you're from the Northeast.
1: Yes. Correct. So Padua, close to Venice, close to Treviso, uh, Verona, uh, where, they, you know. People drink a lot. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Correct.
2: Also, I must add the fact that for an Italian person, having to find an additional job to buy clothing is very important because we spend a lot of money in clothing. Am I right? Indeed. <laughs> <And
1: don't, laughs> without mentioning the shoes. <laughs> yeah,
2: without, without touching shoes, right? <laughs> and how was clubbing bartending for you?
1: I mean, it was, uh, it was fun. The only thing is, uh, you know, it just like... Uh, Mix, uh, serve, and repeat. Because the, you know, as you know as well, the, the, the consumers they were pretty uh, straightforward when they were ordering in terms of, you know, the basic classic drinks that you enjoying, like mojito, spritzes, uh, coca, coca and rum, uh, you know, the, the classic simple drinks that people, uh, that everybody knows. At what
2: point did you start uh, eyeballing like London? What stage do you think that was going to be your next destination?
1: I, uh, I didn't plan it actually to move to London. No. No, because uh, everything happened uh, in the short time of three days. Oh wow! <laughs> yes, <laughs> indeed. The basically it happened that uh, I wasn't really, you know, stimulated anymore with uh, with the job that I had, because from the disco club that was working, Disco Power, I was, was working, uh, it shut down. So then I moved in uh, a bar that was more dedicated to coffee. So cafeteria during the Uh day. So it was like different, completely different shift. And uh, I was working from eight until four o'clock in the the coffee bar. Like Morning shifts. Morning shifts, yes. You don't look like a morning person. Exactly, that's the reason why, (laughs) that's the reason why after uh, a few months that I was working only in the morning, I was missing the night. So what I did, I took uh, the chance to take care of the aperitivo time of a little bar close to where I was working. Okay. And then uh, because I wasn't busy enough, uh, I was doing two nights uh, a week uh, on a club as well.
2: Okay. <laughs> Just to add uh, more money for shoes. <laughs>
1: yeah. Right? I mean, I was, I was young. I had a lot of energies <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, I really, really enjoy, you know, all the different uh, aspects of the uh, job, you know, uh, from the cafeteria to aperitivo to nightclub, that was basically uh cover hundred percent actually 360 degrees. The, the job. And then when I realized that, you know, I wanted a little bit more, I just uh, had a peritivo with a friend of mine. I said, Rudy, why don't you go to London? I said, to do what? I don't even speak English properly, as you can still hear, you know? Otherwise we're on the same boat, man. <laughs> so, uh, you know, after a couple of other more uh, a it happens that uh, he, this friend of mine, contacted a guy that he still, be, he still was in contact with uh, he was still based in London. And uh, there was, this was on Thursday. On Friday, I bought a ticket one way to London, just telling my mom that my mom, don't worry, I'm going there to improve my English, you know, meet new people, see what's going on. I'm going to be back in uh, a few months. So the
2: one way ticket. Yes. Pretty much. Okay. Uh, at least I tried to buy a return <laughs> ticket
1: the first time I went <laughs> there. I missed the, obviously missed the return flight, but yeah. For obvious reasons, yeah, of course. But, uh, <laughs> No, I mean, uh, yeah, so I told my mom, no worries, going to be back. Uh, it's like three months, I'm going to improve my English, see new people. And uh, the fact is, that in a few months, it's going to be my 10th year anniversary that I'm living in London. That's crazy, yeah. <laughs> so everything happened just because uh, uh, this good friend of mine just pitched me the idea to go to London and I wanted to give it a try. And uh, yeah, then, you know, things started to build up.
2: So just a couple of things to clarify.
1: Like uh, w- when you mentioned coffee,
2: like a coffee place in Italy, like perhaps not everybody's familiar, but in Italy, coffee is a strong part of our culture, as you all know. But most bars would do coffee and it's
1: something that goes throughout the day. You know, like the expression machine is always kind of going. Yeah, actually, uh, you might know that as well. Uh, to quantify the, you know, the amount of coffee and how busy a coffee bar is, uh, you know, you count the kilos of coffee yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it, you, that you it, do it, in it a day. Did. OK, so if you do like uh, two kilos, you're not very busy. But if you do like uh, seven, eight, nine kilos of coffee every day, it means that you are kind of a busy bar. And if I remember correctly, we were doing like 11, 12 kilos because we were just in front of the the university. So, you know, all the students were coming in and, you know, as well, Italy, one espresso is one euro. So, Uh, you know, just like tons of them. That's crazy if
2: you think about it, because what is it like? Is it seven grams per cup?
1: we should, uh, we should check with Marco Arrigo, but yeah,
2: probably. <laughs> Marco Arrigo, I think is all around the 21 grams because it, it, he likes his coffee in <laughs> triple, <but yeah>. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So how was, uh, moving to a foreign country? Because this was your first experience abroad. I am to assume, right. When you moved to London,
1: first experience, uh, in terms that I was uh, moving, moving place, yeah. that's correct. Yeah.
2: So how did you go about it? Because, uh, you know, a lot of people who uh, perhaps are considering this move are slightly frightened by it. What is it that you did or you didn't do? Or what would you do differently if you had the chance to do it now?
1: Well, probably the advantage that I had is that I didn't really think it through. I just packed the luggage, bought the ticket, and the, like three days after, I was my I was in London.
2: Where did you <laughs> so, stay? Did you book an accommodation? Or?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the very first accommodation that I booked was a hostel. Uh-huh. in base water.
2: Oh, me too. My first recommendation was a hostel in base water. Oh, right.
1: Yeah. And uh, I stayed there for like the four nights. And uh, during these four days, I did like the job interview. So uh, I arrived actually on Tuesday. So I booked the uh, hostel until Sunday. In the meantime, I did the job interview. So on Monday, I was starting the job as uh, you know commie in, in an Italian restaurant. But maybe I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it later on. And uh, in the meantime, I was looking for a, for a flat, for a place to stay. Uh-huh. And I found one. And <laughs> as you may know, you know, I mean, now the time is different, but 10 years ago was, uh, was very common to find yourself with uh, three other people in the same room uh-huh. and sharing the, <laughs> sharing the, 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 the room yeah. and, and everything. Yeah. So that was, uh, I think, a very nice experience uh, in terms of, uh, you know, it makes you grow up, it makes you understand, you know, your position, around the world and it makes you think a lot, but if you can avoid to share the room with the three people that you don't know, uh, please do.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Which one was your very first job in London? You mentioned it was an Italian restaurant?
1: Correct. Italian restaurant in Notting Hill. It's still there. Very, very busy still. Osteria Basilico.
2: Oh, okay. I know what it is because I lived in Notting Hill for quite a while.
1: So Osteria Basilico, that is basically the place where the friend of mine who gave me the contact worked there like eight years before me. And um, I just present myself, uh, hey, I'm Rudy, I'm looking for a job. <laughs> classic, <laughs> Cla- yeah. Classic sentence. And um, I started as, uh, you know, a I was just polishing glasses, uh, restocking the cellar, and uh, serving the glasses of wine and soft drinks uh, during dinner. It, it wasn't a cocktail place at all. Uh-huh. You know, classic uh, trattoria, osteria italiana. W- what was your, uh, How did you upgrade your
2: job after that?
1: After that, I mean, the, the very first job, uh, let's say that, you know, even because of my skills, my level wasn't that high salary, wasn't <laughs> that amazing, uh, was, wasn't amazing at all. So it was just <laughs> enough, was just enough to survive. You know, I was, um, because after I, after one month I moved from the, you know, the sharing room, the sharing house and I, and I found myself a nice, uh, uh, single bedroom whoa that you know was like a, was a, was like a five-star luxury hotel at that time <laughs> and um
2: no one's trying to steal your socks mm, fancy and you could lock, you could lock it
1: as well you know with a key <laughs> that was
2: unbelievable that was
1: unbelievable at the time and uh but the room was costing me 450 pounds a month okay and at that time uh i was earning uh, more or less uh, 900. And then, uh, you know, I got the chance to start to work uh, behind uh, a slightly better bar, but still focused on wine. Uh, basically, I did the opening of the second branch of uh, Negocio Classica. Okay. That There was one in Notting Hill mm-hmm. uh, on Portobello Road. It was like no. f- 100% focused on wine okay. uh, and just like a couple of, of aperitifs, nothing, nothing major. But, you know. It was nice because um, most of the wine uh, that they were we were serving were like Italian. I was quite confident with them, and uh, at least I was uh, more in contact with the customer because I could suggest the wine, I could suggest some you know food pairing with it, uh, and was more um, interactive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this must have helped you with English dramatically, right? Indeed. Cool. Yeah. Also because, you know, Osteria Basilico, the name tells you already that it's an Italian place, Uh uh, where, you know, all the stuff was Italian as well. That, you know, well, that was nice because I made some very good friends that I'm still friends with. but
2: it doesn't help you with your English, doesn't it? It
1: doesn't, not, it does not. So, you know, the other place still, it was owned by, you know, an Italian couple, but all the stuff was uh, pretty much English.
2: Oh, awesome. So, but at, at this stage, as probably you still had your thirst for cocktails, right? At some point, I, I think you still wanted to work in a cocktail bar, right?
1: I, I was dying to make you some cocktails, you know? Oh, yeah. But uh, with uh, with my CV, if you want to say like this, you know, it was difficult to find uh, a, like a proper bartender job. Mm-hmm. Also because before moving to London, I had no idea what, you know, classic drinks were uh, or, uh, you know, American bar style of the drinks uh, and everything that goes uh, that goes around it so I really really was looking for you know a position that could start me as a uh, bartender
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, one day I don't know if you remember a very good place that I was close uh, called the Montgomery place yeah of course that was actually just next door to my very first job uh, I was uh, hanging around with uh, at that time head bartender That was Fabio La Pietra. And uh, that was the time, that was around uh, January 2012. Okay. That was almost a year that I was in London. And what happened? I was, uh, yeah, I brought a lot of different CVs in different places, different hotels, bars. uh, uh, I tried to ask the guys at Montgomery if I could work there, you know, but they said, no, there are too many Italians here. So, you know, um, we we need someone. Fair enough, (laughs) (laughs) right? We need someone that is not Italian. Okay, fair enough. And um, I was about to, you know, go back to Italy because I wasn't you know, finding any uh, bartender position or mm-hmm. you know any work that could then allow me the access to the bar. You know, I was happy to start from zero because I didn't know anything at the moment. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking with Fabiola Pietra, by chance I said, "Ah, by the way, Rudy, if you want to pass me your CV, I can pass it over to the guys at the Artisan Bar because there is uh, an opening as a bar back. Okay, and what did I do? I took the chance. Before that, I only went once to the artesian, because you know we were in the area, and a friend of mine that knew a little bit more London than me took me around. I said, "Oh, look, this is a you know, five-star hotel bar. It's very nice. This they do these classic serves, and it was very nice because the very first person that served in the Artisan was a Roman. Ah, very cool. And uh, I really, really enjoy, you know, the. The drink that he served us, Ooh. and uh, <laughs> no, and uh, no, and and also Roma just just started there, you know, uh-huh. and uh, but it looks it looks very very professional, you know, very uh, on, as, on, point, uh, yeah. on point, yeah, on uh, point. Well, Roman does does look on point as uh, you uh, always as of what you put it. as you always do. Yeah, Ciao Roman, if you're listening, and uh, yeah, basically the Fabi just passed the CV over, and um, then I've been called for an interview. So this was uh, yeah end of January, beginning of February, 2012. Okay. I've been called for the interview and uh, still the English was poor, you know? Imagine mm-hmm. you're going to work. I mean, you, you work in a five-star like yeah, five yeah, hotel, you know, the English is very important. And I was a little bit scared. So, you know, I went to buy a new blazer with all the money that I left, a, little, <laughs> a, a, a nice tie, you know, <laughs> new shirt, just to look presentable. Reddit attack. And uh, yeah, at the, first, uh, the very first meeting, of course, I had with uh, with the bar manager that uh you know just ask me the classic question, you know where, where where do you see yourself working in 15 in, years in, in 15 years uh why do you come to london what's your aim for the future etc etc et but then uh, i really enjoy i was scared still but I really enjoyed the chat that i had with the head bartender of the Artisan bar and uh-huh. uh, we're talking about alex cratena uh-huh. aka alexino because uh after I spoke with the man of the bar manager, he said, OK, I need, to, I need you to speak with the head bartender because he needs to see if you're suitable for the job. And I still remember that uh, it was like morning, the bar was closed, and I was just waiting inside the bar. There was nobody. The bar manager left. I so just wait here for five minutes. The head bartender will come. And I see Alex coming in with uh, four buckets of ice, ready to set up the station in the morning. I said, ah, so you are the, you are the guy is here for the interview? He said, yes, that's me. OK. Very quickly, from you, I need just a few things, which is uh, hard work, determination, and uh, to be honest with you, probably in the next six, seven months, you won't be making a cocktail. If you're happy with that, I'm uh, oh, sorry, I forgot, you know, a, few, a few hours to work as well.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I say, if you're happy with that, uh, you know, you're know, you on board. <laughs> I mean, for me, it was like uh, scary, but at the same time, very exciting. So what I did uh, was like, uh, I thought about it for like one minute and then I said, yeah, okay, I can give I'm can. give this a shot. So I'm on it. And uh, basically from there and then I started, uh, I started as part of the team, you know, as a barbecue, joined as a barbecue. And uh, I had to say that um, my English improved drastically because, you know, customer were 100% from all around the world. Beyond the bar, we were from all around the world. Because there was only uh, one guy, Simone, that was Italian. All the other the members of the team were uh, from all around the world. So English was a must. And uh, then I start to you know, feel the energy of making the drinks, uh, you know, of uh, running. Actually, not making the drinks, but running the, the bar, you know? Just setting up the station and doing the prep and be there during the service and see this world that for me was new. Because, you know, I never seen uh, anyone using, uh, you know, the bar spoon in, in the way it's supposed to be used, you know, mm-hmm. and um, mixing glasses, you know, and then there was shakers, there was the Japanese heart shake, there was the Boston shake. And for me, it was like uh, being a kid in a candy shop. I, di- I didn't know where to turn my head to, to to really, because, you know, I was trying to steal everything that I can with the eyes, no. Mm-hmm. So you have
2: uh, witnessed uh, the artesian probably from the beginning of the most successful period they had until the very end of it. And there has been a natural progression to it, right? How would you describe the, this process? How did the process go for you? Because you were part of, of a very, very successful team and you've been awarded as such a multiple times, uh, how, how did this process of like developing and reinventing yourselves every year, how, how
1: did it work? It worked uh, in a very simple way, like uh, Never stop learning, never stop thinking and uh, always push forward. That was basically what we were doing beyond the bar. You know, we were getting inspiration from everywhere. That could be, you know, the leaves outside when it's autumn uh, to the kitchen uh, preparation that the chef were making. So we really got inspiration for the drinks from everything. And uh, uh, the most important thing about uh, the drinks, and I think, you know, is a general concept, is that... Uh, the drinks, first of all, they need to be delicious in terms of liquid itself, the yeah. cocktail itself. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can play around with the garnish, you know, with the colorful and playful uh, uh, items that, you know, people can remember. And uh, when they remember the playful time that they have, the fun time that they have at the bar, as you know, they're more, more likely to come back and share the experience with other people. That's, you know, the the way our bar get the name out there, and he gets busy. There was a lot of work to do because, uh, especially at the beginning, uh, there were only five of us behind the bar, and uh, we were covered in uh, shifts from uh, nine o'clock in the morning until uh, four or five o'clock uh, in the next in the night. Mm-hmm. So uh, the shifts were long, but we were so united and passionate and uh, very focused on the same goal that. Uh, it wasn't a job, you know. It was tiring, yes, physically, mm-hmm. but you know, with the mind, we were always we were always spacing from uh, you know all the aspects that you could think of. So the Artesian
2: Bar, as uh, you guys uh, have defined it, is one of those uh, few places that have defined different styles of hotel bars. Uh, one one can argue that there are a few of those places there. Like for instance, you've got the Conot Bar which define what a modern hotel bar should be with mm-hmm. the American bar, which defines what a classic cocktail bar should be a mo- hotel bar. And then you've got the artesian, which sort of created his own uh, category, right? Of like this fun five-star cocktail slash dive <laughs> slash amazing bar. I mean,
1: you, you've been there. No, yeah, you remember. Yeah. Basically what we've been lucky and able to pull off was to make everybody feel comfortable in a five-star luxury hotel bar because um, the first time that I walk in at the American bar, you know, uh, I was a little bit scared.
2: It feels intimidating as a, as a place, you know, because, I, I
1: agree. Especially if you are new, if you mm. don't know the ambient, you know, if you, don't, yeah. if you don't understand that it's just a regular bar, you know, but in this way, you know, just because we were, uh, you know, uh, acknowledging everybody, you know, with uh, you know, big smile and funny cocktails, a uh, little bit more loud music, uh, hip hop music, dance music. It was uh, an ambient where an environment where everybody was uh, feeling welcome, even though it was like a, you know downtown London, Oxford Circus, in a five-star hotel.
2: But was this something that you guys decided to do from the get-go as as a briefing, mm-hmm. like l- let's create this sort of idea, or was it something that? Uh- <laughs> You guys developed from uh, just being yourselves behind the bar.
1: I think that uh, it just came out uh, because we all put our personality in there. Okay. So. So it, it felt natural. It wasn't forced. Th- th- that's why that's the reason why I think you know people actually enjoy it because it was natural. There was nothing planned. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we we didn't plan to make know a, uh, a super uh, funny and super different uh, five star bar hotel bar. You just wanted people to be happy. We wanted people to be happy to, you know, come back, have fun, and uh, you know, engage with them, because this is what the bar is about, you know, engage with your customers, make them feel home. So to touch
2: on that, um, hotels are big machines. Have you had uh, some sort of difficulties uh, with hotel ownership, and how did you try to
1: overcome those as a team? I mean, you said it yourself, is uh, hotels are such a big environment. Uh, that uh it's difficult sometimes to put all the minds uh, together mm-hmm. and uh, you know agree on something but to be honest with you we yeah we had some discrepancies sometimes but we always uh, try to make it work uh, for the um for the good you know of the bar itself so there was no point to argue in uh, stupid things mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. that could uh, draw away the attention for uh, from the bar itself from the uh, inspiration, the creativity. So, you know, at the end, we always find, uh, find a way to uh, find a, com- a, a compromise, a common ground just to, you know, keep the machine uh, running. Uh, would you mind talking to us about menu development? How did
2: you guys go about, uh, coming up with uh, such diverse menus and drinks? Like, what
1: was the thought process behind it? First of all, we were, uh, Trying uh, researching new ingredients, like I believe everybody does, and uh, the idea were uh, collective ideas because the whole team was uh, putting together some ideas that you know you can have an idea, but you are not really sure about it. If you share it with the team, most likely someone will have uh, an uh, an addition could add an addition to your idea or you know smooth it out um, uh, smooth it out in somehow that uh, it works basically what we were doing were like this uh, creative section as uh, Alex used to call them and uh, we were doing this creative section uh, at the around three four o'clock I mean after the shift uh, on Saturday night when you were the most tired and the only thing that you wanted to do was go home but we wanted to you know push forward so the moment that you are the most tired and you just want to go home what do you do you push even more that means that we were sitting down, everybody was, uh, um, was coming up with an idea or a new ingredient for the new cocktail menu. And uh, in around 12 months, okay, this is the time more or less that took us to create a cocktail menu, you are able to put together a lot of ideas. Mm-hmm. A lot of ideas for, you know, ingredients, glasses, serves, uh, display, organization behind the bar, setup. Because as you know, the moment that you change the menu, you change the setup as well. So there was like a a 360 degrees uh, um, view of everything that was changing.
2: Mm -hmm. And uh, about the menu concepts themselves, uh, would you guys work together on those as well?
1: Yeah, again, also the menu concept was like uh, we were pitching some different ideas. So, you know, guys, come up with uh, a concept for the menu and let's see if we can make it work. You know, you could come uh, on uh, Saturday morning after the shift and say, oh, guys, I have an idea for the menu. Let's do the menu based on the colors or the season or the cartoons.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then uh, with the team, we were discussing if it's something that could work or not work. And uh, then, uh, you know, define it uh, into the doable way. What is your best memory from the artesian times? I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> no, It's something that's uh, no. secret for you. No, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, best memories, uh, best memories. Uh, I mean, over, over almost five years that I spent behind the bar at the artisan, there are a lot of memories.
0: Mm,
1: of course. Uh, some of them are very happy. Some of them are sad, but sad in the way that uh, they were sad at the time. But if I didn't have that experiences, I wouldn't be the person that I have today. Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, I think, you know, just being where I've been is my memory. Uh-huh. and uh it's very difficult to find a particular uh, episode but if i had to say one <laughs> is we used to have um, uh, two station at the, the artisan bar one that was doing the dispense the other one more close to the door okay okay that was doing the the bar mm-hmm. and then on the other side uh, there was the washing machine where the barber was uh, um was living was, <laughs> was living yeah was doing the glasses <laughs> And know when you are busy, you are packed, and you have a lot of people waiting for drinks, and everybody is uh, screaming at you, you know the bar manager, <laughs> the, the, the waiters, uh, they all want the drinks, uh, and you know, you're running out of glasses, uh, the stress sometimes can build up. You know? ah. But the good memory is that the, we had like, quite good ways to get rid of the stress. And a little funny episode is that we had this um, um, how do you call it? the phone. Uh, like a fake phone behind uh. the bar that you could attach with the jack to the iphone okay and with that uh, from one station to the barbie station we were just calling for glasses you know so okay. the bar the bar that was super busy you know was sweating uh, the hell out of it it was like looking for his phone <laughs> because it was ringing and then it was just simone calling eh, i need some glasses please <laughs> and, and and this was just like basic, basic small things uh, that uh, you know the push you forwards and don't make you think about the stress and the 2,500 glasses that you eat, to cl- you have to clean in like 15 minutes.
2: How long have you been there for? Uh, almost five years. Okay. Yeah. So during this five years period of time, have you ever had a moment where you thought like, why am I doing this?
1: Oh yeah. yeah. I have the perfect episode for that. <laughs> and, um, the amount of work was, uh, was a lot. And uh, was super busy night. Uh, and the, at the beginning, there were this, uh, you know, the team was one bartender per station, so two bartenders and one barbecue. That was the team. Also for Friday, Saturday night, at the beginning, and when I'm in mean the beginning, I mean, the, the first year that I was there, because then you know, the bar was even busier and we start to get more people. But at the beginning it was two bartenders, one barbecue, and the barbecue was in charge of restocking the fridges, uh, ice, glasses. Uh, uh, whatever was needed, uh, because the bartender were busy on making drinks, and um, I remember that uh, I looked at the corner where the dirty glasses were collected, and they were like I never seen so many in my life,
0: and <laughs> and, and it was
1: like uh, it was like eight o'clock in the evening, you know? Yes, yes,
2: halfway through your shift. Yeah.
1: You know that night uh, where there is no uh, dinner break, uh, so that you start at like at four thirty, and it
2: just powers through until you
1: close. Yeah. Exactly, it's one of those nights. And at a certain point, um, I clean a little jar, you know, for the side juices, uh, you know, you can, uh-huh. you can bring at the table and very quickly, I position it uh, in the, in the right shelf, but facing the wrong direction. So the handle, instead of being on the right, it was on the left hand side. Okay. Alex uh, turned around and looked at me with like furious eyes. And he said, <laughs> he told me, if you're not doing your job properly, you can't go home. Ah. Okay. <laughs> From that moment on, I didn't know what to think. I was like, okay, I have like, ton of glasses to clean, uh, my ice is missing, beers, are, beer fridges are empty, and uh, the handle should be the other side, but I put it on the wrong side, and I get in, you know, told off for this, and that was very, that for me is the moment that, all uh, you break or you carry on. Uh, L- lucky for me, I carry on. <laughs> so um, it's a small example, but you know, it makes you think that uh, details on everything that you do—they they matter, right? They do matter. They do matter, even though the customer doesn't even see because a customer, you know, probably doesn't even notice that there is a jar in you know, facing uh, right, the, or, or yeah, right or right Exactly. left. But,
2: but you know, like to, to like I know,
1: perhaps you're overanalyzing it a bit. But the fact is that if you start
2: cutting corners, where do you draw the line, right? At some point, because it can be the jug, then is the glass in the wrong shelf. That's correct. Then everything goes south. And then, you know, like, so there was was truth to that statement, right? No, that's
1: absolutely correct. And then the best way, as you know, to be fast in a busy bar. Is to be efficient. Is to be efficient and organized. Mm -hmm. That means that uh, I know that the little jar has the right, uh, the handle on the right hand side. That means that I go straight away with my right hand to bring it, to take it and use it. Mm-hmm. If the end is on the other side, that can cause me like, a, yes, maybe two seconds delay. Nothing major. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you add two seconds all over the serves that you do, okay, every day over a year, you maybe lose a day.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah, of course.
1: and a day is a lot of time. Delay, stress. <laughs> you know. So, yeah, little things matter.
2: So, uh, you guys did uh, an excellent job there. You, towards especially towards the end of it, you were at the forefront of it. Uh, they, But you know, as all good things, they come to an end. I think we, like a lot of people have discussed <laughs> the end of the Artesian Times yeah. uh, in uh, in much detail. So I don't think it, there's value into us elaborating that furthermore.
1: No, I believe everybody knows how the, yeah. how the story goes. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> uh,
2: you know, like uh, you're ready to seek new challenges. How did you go about that? Because it was a quite sudden thing. Uh, am I correct?
1: Yeah, like, I mean, it was, um I mean, the op- at the operational level, it was... Uh, quite sudden, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the thought for us, you know, we were, we were thinking what would be the next step for us uh-huh. and, and that was all, you know, and uh, we thought that, you know, that was the time where everybody support basically would have to take their own path.
2: So then after that, uh, you had a short stint uh, place in Covent Garden.
1: Oh yeah, that yeah. was
2: fun. How, how did that go?
1: That was fun. It was very nice also because it was my uh, very first opening, uh-huh. as you can guess. So I learned a lot of different things. You know, on how, you know, perfection in the calculation of the GP of the drinks uh, rather than uh, design a menu by myself uh, with a new team uh, rather than, you know, setting up the POS system, uh, st- uh, stock take uh, and everything that goes on and so on and on. But it was very, very, very nice. Uh, I was very happy to pair the cocktails with uh, the incredible food that the chefs were doing. And uh, the the concept of the food itself was also very nice because, yes, it was a... Uh, um, would we would say like Michelin star direction cuisine because mm-hmm. they recently got the Michelin star in, in, in the restaurant in Paris. Oh, awesome. So, you know, that, that, that was the direction and, um, the working together with even more closely with the chef was, uh, was super interesting and uh, very nice. And then of course the venue, beautiful, you know, location as well. But I took care only of the bar program for the opening. Uh, and, yeah. uh-
2: at what point have you thought that brands could be an appealing option for you?
1: At the moment where uh, I realized that uh, I was missing something. I was having a lot of fun because, you know, bartending is fun. The thing is, I was missing something in terms of uh, personal relationship, perhaps, you know, uh, now, you know, for Saturday Saturday, Sunday, are dedicated to, to, you know, to the family, to mm-hmm. stay together with friends, uh, you know, fiance, uh, family. So, uh, that's something that I was starting to miss because, as you know, bar, there is no Sunday, there is no Saturday or Friday yeah. evening, and uh, there is no Christmas or Easter. You know, you are there when um, it's always been like this. You know, the hard job, you're there when the there are the people having fun, they say, even though they don't know that we're having fun too. Yeah, of course. But when the when the offer of, you know, working with the brand, with the opportunity of working with the brand came on, I started to realize that. Um, that f- probably would be uh, a nice a nice challenge, I would say, uh-huh. because you know, again, I didn't know anything about the job, apart, you know yes, speaking with friends and uh, and colleagues. but uh, if, it gets you busy in a different way, okay? I'm not saying that uh, you know I'm tired of uh, I was tired of be-, of be working behind the bar because I still miss uh, the operation and everything and uh, be be beyond the bar that's Mm -hmm. why i really enjoy you know doing a lot of different guest bartending but probably because of the amount uh, of time that we spend at the artesian you know and after with the opening of um, of the restaurant in in covent garden i needed like a little break from you know going to sleep at six o'clock in the morning and uh say five hours dark drama
2: yeah no i get that having a kind of
1: unbalanced lifestyle because sometimes you eat a lot sometimes you don't eat enough uh, you know then when it's your day off you go out for drinks and everything so it was i believe uh, the right time for you know see if this could work and to be honest with you um, now i found myself uh, uh, even more busy than before (laughs) i sleep less than before (laughs) because of the flights that i had to catch (laughs)
2: <laughs> no but uh, this is also like a bit of a common misconception right is the fact that the moment that you start working as a brand ambassador you're a 9 to 5 guy that that you know just works uh, for a brand like oh, no no uh, that's a lie i don't uh, know easy, i don't easy. know who yeah, tell you that exactly no <laughs> that's a lie we were speaking with Declan McGurk uh, recently on this podcast and one of the things that he said is that uh, as a brand ambassador you know your brands are sold during the evening so you still have to work yeah. a good chunk of those right
1: absolutely mm-hmm. and uh, that's where you know the people see the job as super fun mm-hmm. yeah that's the fun part of the job what the people don't see is that you still need to be in the office nine <laughs> o'clock in the morning <laughs> because right? yeah. you know you still have you know to you know look after the budget and emails and you know organize the meetings and catch up and everything that uh, goes on and on and then the fun part starts so yes the hours that you work there's still a lot because you start in the morning and you finish, uh, you know, sometimes you finish at two o'clock in the morning because you have like a customer dinner and you want to go and see this place and, you know, Michelin just opened a new bar uh, and so on and so on. And so is, um, is, you don't really have fixed hours as well. So, but talking about the decision that
2: pushed you towards uh, slightly pushed you towards brand, like nothing pushed you, that was a decision of yours, but do you think uh, that the uh, work life balance in, in bars is off? And if you think it's off, do you think is there's anything that as an industry we can do to fix it? I
1: mean, for the experience that they had, because as I said before, you know, uh, especially at the beginning of the Artesian, uh, we were uh, a little bit understaffed because of the um, how busy the bar was. Uh-huh. So that, for that point of view, you know, it makes me realize that the balance is important. What I see happening uh, in the in most like, recently, in the last uh, two years, is that the bartenders is they themselves they start to think about a more healthy, if you wanna pass me the word, approach to the bartender lifestyle. That means that uh, you need to you know be careful on how much you drink because you have access to booze all day long. If you want you can be drunk every day, twenty four seven, every day from nine o'clock until uh, five o'clock in the morning. Uh, so. And you know as well when you go out, uh, you go to see the friends, you go and see the guys. Uh, they open, as I said, they open new bar, and uh, there is the new cocktail menu coming out. So because that's the that's the industry. Okay, so I think the very first idea is to be responsible. Okay, it needs to come from each one of us. Mm-hmm. Be responsible, and then of course, uh, I think that uh, understanding that uh, since the balance of our sleeping hours and meal and food, you know, that is not always perfect. When we can, we should also balance it up. So when you can relax, take some time for you, you know, instead of always going out, uh, like it was happening for me when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's very important to understand that. From our point of view, it's, uh, it's difficult to do something, okay? I, I like the to see that uh, there are uh, some people, brand ambassador bartenders that, uh, they're promoting a more healthy lifestyle for uh, uh, the people that work in the industry. But I think that, uh, everybody needs to find the perfect balance because for, themselves. for me, mm. the balance could be, I don't know, go to the gym after the shift. Maybe you prefer to go to have a swim before starting your shift or waking up early in the morning. It depends. The important thing is that uh, they as they always say, you know, mente sana and corpore sano. So, you know, <laughs> healthy mind in a, a healthy, healthy body. in a healthy body. So, I think that still applies, I believe.
2: So, talk to us about your new role. Uh, So,
1: first of all, what brands do you represent? I do represent, uh, I mean, as I said before, a global brand ambassador for the group Montenegro. That means that uh, I represent Amaro Montenegro, Aperitivo Select, and also Vecchia Romagna. Okay. But, uh, you know, you may know me as the
2: Montenegro guy,
1: the Montenegro guy, Montenegro Paparazzi because um, it's the brand uh, that um, uh, I give more focus to and uh, the second brand is Select also because they're the one that you can find all around the world Uh instead of Vecchio Romania we're still in the process to get him on all the countries that we need to okay so yeah
2: and uh, how's that uh, for you like
1: what's uh, your your regular day how does it look like you wake up tea because I don't drink coffee anymore (laughs) as I said before and uh, emails, catch up, phone calls with the team, because I'm based in London, but our um, our marketing team is uh, is based in Bologna, our okay. uh, the mm-hmm. hometown of uh, Amaro Montenegro. So, you know, conf call, catch up, see what's going on, uh, what needs to be done. And a uh, couple of meetings, probably, usually, you know, early afternoon is the best time to go and... Uh, and meet uh, a new customer or speak with the bar manager to see if there is a opportunity for partnership sponsorship and so on and then uh, um, there is uh, as we said the fun part the fun part that is uh, you know go around and see the new accounts or go and check in if anyone needs something uh, try the new drink that uh, uh, the, they put on the menu and so on and so on this is basically a regular day when i'm in london the other 50 percent. Of my time is dedicated to travel because global ba- ambassador means that uh, I look after in, in terms of, you know, uh, master classes, so education, bar show, uh, organization of events, uh, guest bartending for all the countries around the world. And that means that I do fly a lot because uh, in one year you see me three times in Singapore. Yeah. That so is, is more or less the, the other side, <laughs> the other side of the world. So, and, uh, mm, and the routine is the same. The only thing is that, you know, you're jet lagged and you have the planes in the middle. And yeah. uh, but it's very important to travel, you know, to keep a very good relationship with our uh, colleagues, our distribution companies uh, and our, um, yeah, our partners. Uh, okay. Exactly, partners. Yeah.
2: So we Amaro is having a little bit of a renaissance uh, around the world. It, would you say that's a fair assessment?
1: Like Amaro is doing reasonably well. I see that the Amaro is going uh, is going well. Yes, people start to understand what an Amaro is. That is very important uh, because you know it's important to have the people understand what they're drinking. And um, it's also doing well uh, in terms of uh, popularity within the bartender community, because uh, is uh, as some of the bartenders told me, is their little uh, gem uh-huh. to make. Uh, uh, different drinks uh, for their customer because usually the customer they still know into the cocktail world uh-huh. uh, they might still know you know uh, s- certain ingredients and Amar Montenegro is one of them so and it's always nice makes me make, makes me makes me you got it man <laughs> <coughs> makes me happy okay when he goes around and say, oh Rudy I make this customer try Amar Montenegro and he loves it he says, oh thank you very much that's so cool that's, uh, that, that's the good thing that uh, makes you uh, makes me happy What's the
2: most challenging market for,
1: for, for Montenegro in terms of like getting people to like it? Uh, in terms of liking, I think uh, more or less everybody likes uh, the Amaro Montenegro. Also because he has a ni- nice, perfect uh, bittersweet balance. Uh, you know, he's not too dark as well. He doesn't have the uh, very dry, uh, tanning bitterness. The thing is, um, we need to make the people understand uh, the tradition of the Amaro. Because the moment that you go around the world, uh, if you go to US, for example, uh, all the different restaurants, uh, even if they're not Italian, they have a quite uh, long list of uh, aperitif and uh, digestif. Mm-hmm. If you want to compare it with UK, so let's say London, for example, what happened? That the culture of the digestif is not there. Because people, as you know, after dinner, they like their whiskey. That's the more like a cultural thing, a tradition. Mm-hmm. So it will take a little bit more time to uh, get recognized as you know the digestive uh, that Montenegro is, and the the fact that uh, is more popular in uh, all this this flavor is more popular in US is because the American food is a bit more sweet than the UK people, you know. But, but there's also strong Italian influence
2: in in, in, the, in North America, generally oh, speaking. Of right? course, yeah. of
1: course. I mean, I didn't even mention that because uh, you know. Is, uh, is, is a big part of it. Yeah. Indeed,
2: yeah. Awesome. So I think this is a good uh, thought to wrap the conversation. There is a one question that I ask everyone. Uh, so I'll ask you too. Yes. Uh, if you could choose your very last drink, what would that be?
1: Oh, wow. You took me by surprise here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Does it need to be a specific drink for a certain bar or just a drink? Just any drink.
2: Like uh, a guy in our podcast cheated uh, by saying, he would have a corpse survivor, so he'd come back to life. <laughs>
1: Okay, so probably it would be, oh, wow, man, you took me I really know, by right? surprise. Yeah. As the last drinker, probably we have uh, a very, very, very big Manhattan. <laughs> big, like
2: a jug. <laughs> like, like a bucket <laughs> a of <coli> Manhattan. <laughs> a bucket
1: of Manhattan.
2: Rudy, it was <laughs> awesome to catch up with you. Uh, very interesting stuff looking forward to see you around the world
1: thank you very much Michele and uh, I do
0: hope to see you very very soon again we hope you enjoyed our interview with Rudy we are Unjagged underscore media on Instagram and you can follow our personal accounts at mmariotti89 for Michele Alex J Murphy for myself and Adrian Bessa for Adrian thank you for listening